Tell me, what do you do when you spot a camel? Uh, I take its number. Uh, camels don't have numbers. Oh, well, you've got to know where to look. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, a show where we learn something new every week, part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent, and I'm excited to have you here again this week. We're part of the WCBE podcast experience, but funding comes from the support we receive from Patreon. So if you've got a dollar to spare, please go over to patreon.com slash Michael Kent to see if that's something you can do to help keep this show going. If you want a producer credit at the end of the show, you can do that there as well. Another fun thing, I've hidden a contest somewhere in this episode. That's all I'll say. Today's topic comes to us from Rory. Hi, Michael. It's Rory Raven calling from spooky Salem, Massachusetts. I, for one, would love to see you do an episode on the United States Camel Corps. Please and thank you. I have heard of this before, and I find it fascinating. Camels aren't native to America, but they were very nearly introduced to a point where they would be native to America. I mean, horses aren't native to this country either. They were, but they were in America thousands of years ago, went extinct in this country, then were reintroduced by the Spanish, and now we think of horses as part of American culture. We've got the climate in this country, particularly in the Southwest, where it seems like it would make sense to have camels doing our work for us. But it never caught on. I took the week to look into it. In Eagle Creek, Arizona, in 1883, the legend of the Red Ghost was born. A red-haired beast, 20 to 30 feet tall, roaming the desert with a devilish-looking ghost rider on its back. The legend went on for 10 years until the truth was discovered. And the truth was almost as fantastical and amazing as the legend. It started when a couple of ranchers' wives saw the beast. While one looked on from her window, the other went outside to see what was going on. Their dog was going crazy. The woman was discovered later, trampled to death. The bushes and the trees nearby had snagged some of the beast's red fur. Reports of the red ghost continued, and they were always the same. A large beast with a ghostly rider. It wasn't until 1893 that farmer Mizzou Hastings shot the beast, eating the crops in his field. It was a camel. The leather straps and harness on its back were so tight they were cutting into the poor animal's flesh. And sure enough, strapped on the camel's back was the skeleton of a man, bits of clothing and hair still blowing in the wind. No one knows exactly why the man was on the camel. He could have been someone trying to escape the desert desperate for water. It could have been a soldier who tried to ride the beast and failed. But we know where the camel came from. It's well documented. And that's where we begin today's story. In the Civil War, George H. Crossman was a quartermaster for the Union Army. But before that, he was a soldier in the Indian Wars and fought in Florida. That's where he was able to see the expansive need for transportation of cargo just to supply and feed an army in the field. This is where he first came up with the idea that maybe pack animals being used in the Middle East would work well in the United States for transporting materials. The nation was expanding west, and the massive amounts of land that needed to be covered was difficult for men and for the animals that were available to them, namely horses and mules. Crossing huge prairies, rivers, and difficult mountain terrain seemed like too difficult a task, and the Intercontinental Railroad wouldn't be completed for decades. He had heard about the usefulness of camels, 
so he conducted an extensive study and sent his results to Washington. Here's an excerpt from his report which lays out his reasoning. Quote, For strength in carrying burdens, for patient endurance of labor, and privation of food, water, and rest, and in some respects speed also, the camel and dromedary, as the Arabian camel is called, are unrivaled among animals. The ordinary loads for camels are from seven to nine hundred pounds each, and with these they can travel from thirty to forty miles a day for many days in succession. They will go without water and with but little food for six or eight days, or it is said even longer. Their feet are alike well suited for traversing grassy or sandy plains or rough rocky hills and paths, and they require no shoeing." End quote. His request for camels fell on deaf ears. No one at the War Department cared to look into it, but as Crossman worked his way up in the Quartermaster Department and met Major Henry Wayne, who had also heard about the advantages of camels, together they brought up the idea once again. This time, they finally were heard by a young senator from Mississippi, who would later go on to become the President of the Confederacy. Senator Jefferson Davis liked the idea of trying to use camels to help the Army transport cargo and tried for several years to get the War Department to take up the project. After Jeff Davis was appointed Secretary of War, he finally had enough power for the request to have teeth. The following year, President Franklin Pierce and Congress approved $30,000 for the import of a small amount of camels to the United States for a testing program. In the summer of 1854, Major Henry Wayne traveled to zoos in London and Paris to talk to animal keepers about camels. Lieutenant David Dixon Porter was the captain of the ship to bring them over, named the Supply. The two men met up in Italy and traveled to what is modern-day Tunisia to begin their expedition procuring camels. Over the next five months, they traveled to Malta, Greece, Turkey, and Egypt, gathering animals, and it wasn't easy. Some of the camels were sick and couldn't be transported. In some regions, they ran into legal problems with the export. They ended up with 33 animals on board, a mix of male and female dromedaries and Bactrian camels. A Bactrian camel has two humps, while a dromedary has one. It wasn't until February of 1856 when they started home. And even the journey home was riddled with problems, mostly severe weather. It took three months to return home. During that time, one camel died and two more were born. But the men had spent so much time studying about camels that when they arrived in the U.S., all of the animals were in better health than when they left. The camels were unloaded at Indianola, Texas, a port that is now a ghost town, and were led 120 miles to San Antonio, then another 60 miles to Camp Verde, northwest of San Antonio. They set up a Middle Eastern-style corral for the camels, and David Dixon Porter left for Egypt to fill his ship with another load. He arrived the next January with 41 more camels. But how did they fare? How did these American military men adapt to training and using camels in their work? I'll get into that after a quick break. Is there a better role model than Leslie Nope? Do you like the smooth stylings of Duke Silver? Do you think little Sebastian is the best damn little horse the world has ever seen? Then you'll love the Parks and Rec podcast. Or maybe you had no idea what we were talking about just now. Don't worry, we've got you covered too. Hi, I'm Joey. I'm Haley. And I'm Sean. And every Thursday, we cover an episode of the show Parks and Rec with someone from Parks and Rec. That's Sean. All while getting Parks and Rec'd. 
So pull up a seat and we'll have more fun than an Entertainment 720 party featuring DJ Roomba. DJ Roomba. Visit us at parksrecpod.com or listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening. Parks and Rec. It's been colder lately, and I have photos on my Instagram of me wearing one of my favorite clothing items for this time of year, my Scotty Vest fleece. It is awesome for traveling around because it has pockets for all of my gadgets, for my phone, my glasses, my wallet, my charging cord, you name it. It's a clothing company I believe in, and I'm confident that they've got an article of clothing that you'll love. The best thing you can do is take a look at all the awesome pocket-packed clothing on their website. Go to scottyvest.com and enter promo code TM15, that's Tango Mike 15, and you'll get 15% off your order. The link is in my show notes. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing balms, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to the internet says it's true.com slash deals for the link. Okay, here's a contest for you. This podcast doesn't make a ton of money, but I'll send a $10 gift card to your Amazon account to the first person who tweets me at Michael Kent and tells me the name of the company I advertise that has clothing with lots of pockets. The first person to tweet that to me publicly wins 10 bucks. I listened to a new podcast this week. You've got to check this one out, especially if you're around my age. I was born in 1979, and this podcast spoke to me. Gen X, This Is Why. It examines media from the Gen X childhood, and it discusses like how it affected us. Hosted by sisters Jenny and Amy, Gen X, This Is Why covers movies from the 70s and 80s and the television show Little House on the Prairie. Through these shows and movies, Jenny and Amy are discovering the origin of some of Gen X's weirdest fears, phobias, and social norms. I gotta say, I listened to their episode about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and I thoroughly enjoyed it start to finish. They've also covered movies like Dirty Dancing, Pretty in Pink, Top Gun, and more. Find Gen X This Is Why on most podcast apps or by visiting GenXThisIsWhy.com. I love a good old-fashioned quality bourbon, natural ingredients. When it's done right, it's just perfect. Well, I found this company in booze. They make natural ingredient cocktail infusions with fruits, herbs, and spices that help you create a drink at home with your favorite alcohol out of ingredients that you know and trust. It's actually a pretty easy process too. You just buy a kit from in booze, whether it's the red wine sangria infusion or the spicy margarita. Then you add the infusion to your own alcohol and you let it sit, you let it infuse for three days. Then you're ready to party with a natural flavor, amazing tasting cocktail. You can also find recipes for mocktails if you're not an alcohol drinker. Go check out all the infusions they have to offer at inbooze.com. That's I-N-B-O-O-Z-E.com. And let them know I sent you. I've also put the link on my deals page on my website. Let's get back to the story. 
It was 1857, and through two successful but difficult trips across the ocean, the United States Army now owned 75 camels corralled at Camp Verde in Texas. It was time to test them. Now, the first test was an easy one. Six camels were tasked with accompanying mules driving a small wagon train to San Antonio. The six camels carried 3,648 pounds of oats. They made the trip in two days and shocked the military leaders who were assessing the trip. The soldiers hated the camels at first. They smelled bad, and if they got mad, they would bite or spit. But the biggest problem was that they weren't horses, and horses were what these men were used to, so they needed to be trained to work with the animals. The next test of the animals was a practical one. James Buchanan was the new president, and he was having a wagon road built from Fort Defiance, Arizona territory, all the way west to the Colorado River at the California border. It would run the entire width of what is modern-day Arizona. It's just over 300 miles. The special order for the surveying team was that they were required to bring camels along. It was being used as a real-life test of the usefulness of these animals. The men protested but complied. They led a large team of camels from Fort Verde, Texas to the starting point of the road surveying expedition in Fort Defiance. Then they set out west to survey uncharted land. Now, they had initially complained about the camels, but at one point on their journey, they got lost in a canyon. There was no food, no water, nothing for their mules to graze on, and the mules started freaking out, becoming frantic. The team of camels led the expedition 20 miles away to water, saving the lives of the entire group. After that, it was the camels they relied on to find water. By the time they had reached Colorado River, the camels had been driven over 1,200 miles in the middle of the summer. The leader of the expedition had this to say, quote, I believe at this time I may speak for every man in our party when I say there is not one of them who would not prefer the most indifferent of our camels to four of our best mules, end quote. So why don't we have camels as pack animals in America? The simple answer is because of the Civil War. Remember that one of the most ardent supporters of this program was Jefferson Davis, who became the president of the Confederacy when the South seceded. Confederate soldiers raided and took over Camp Verde in February of 1861. While most of the camels were taken out and moved to various other camps by the Union soldiers, several were captured by the rebel army. They didn't know how to treat the animals, so they were abused. One of them was pushed off a cliff. Another was used in service where it was killed in the Battle of Vicksburg. The remaining camels that were still being held by the Union Army had their fate decided by Lincoln's Secretary of War, Edwin M. Stanton. Stanton had no knowledge of the several successful tests of the camel's usefulness. He didn't understand or hadn't been properly briefed on what these camels could do for his army. He sold them all at auction. From here, the camels were split up across America, some of them being brought so far as British Columbia. Some were sold to circuses, others were used in mining operations in the American West, and some were simply turned loose into the wild. One of the main trainers of the camels, a Greek man from Syria named Haji Ali, or known simply as Hai Jali, continued working with some of the animals in nearby mining camps, but most of the remaining camels were abandoned. And this is how it came to be, that a camel would be roaming the American Southwest, causing ranchers to panic when they saw a beast that they didn't recognize. The war had come and gone. The country was in the midst of fighting with reconstruction and severe economic depression. But out west, in Mojave County, Arizona, 
That camel that became known as the Red Ghost, the one that Mizzou Hastings shot on his ranch, had been roaming the desert for more than 30 years. It was no ghost. It was the last gasp of a failed program, one of the last pieces of the United States Camel Corps. Now it's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend. Today I'm calling my friend magician Matt Franco. Matt appears nightly in the Matt Franco Theater in Las Vegas's Link Hotel and Experience. He was the winner of America's Got Talent. That's right, the winner of the show. And he was able to make time out of his incredibly busy performance schedule to join me. Matt Franco, it is good to see you again, my friend. Great to see you, buddy. I, uh, I've been listening to your podcast, Mind Over Magic, with Eric Diddleman, and I, I dig it. I really enjoy the, the show. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. It's good. I'm a magician, and so I have you know, my own relation to the things that you're talking about. But I feel like a lot of the stuff you talk about is it would be interesting to non-magicians too, right? I think it's somewhat universal. Yeah, I, I, I hope to think so, um, especially for people in performance and stuff. But a lot of times these things we're talking about are sort of can apply to whatever it is you're trying to achieve, whether it be art or sports or whatever else, right? Yeah. And you're doing this while maintaining a six night a week show schedule at The Link. Um, Matt Franco, Magic Reinvented Nightly. You just started back recently. How's it going so far? It's great. We've been back for, call it eight, nine months, something like that. And it feels so good to just be back on stage again. We've got uh, our, our mask mandate just lifted. I guess we're really? one of the last few states here in Nevada. So audiences are unmasked as of a couple of days ago. And um, more people are coming to Vegas all of a sudden. So it's, it's interesting. I don't know if it's because of that or a coincidence. It's interesting. I was in Los Angeles performing um, a couple nights ago and I had this exact discussion. I said, you know, I want to do more shows and do, but I feel like so much of it is I'll be more excited to keep performing out once the mask mandates are lifted. And I'm seeing yeah. these mandates lifted here and there in, on the East Coast, but I had no idea that Vegas had already done that. That's that's really going to boom just, their, their uh, economy, I think. Yeah, no, I believe so, too. And it's funny. Last night I was talking to someone after the show and they said, oh, my God, so and so referring to one of the volunteers, so and so's expression when this happened. And I was like, wow, uh, I haven't heard that in a while because we haven't seen those expressions except yes, for the eyes yes. in a long, long time. So, um, you know, it's cool to, to get some of that some more normalcy back. So, yeah, people are a little bit looser and more relaxed when they don't have the mask on. And yeah, there's one particular spot in my act when the person on stage, their expression really matters. And I've been losing that. Yes. And um, I've been making a joke about it. I'm like, and that's the cool thing is whether they make <laughs> the expression or not, I can say you can't see it. But under that mask, their mouth. Is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's 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 <laughs> something that. that I've been able to do for a while. And and uh, anywho, so you were on Joke Story Trick a while back, which was my sort of my yep. video podcast weekly web show thing. But this is something different. What I do for this, Matt, is I bring people on who know nothing about the topic. Not only do you not know about the topic, you don't even know what the topic is. So I say that because these questions are not meant for you to ace. Very few people get all okay. five of them right. Um, and so okay. this is just sort of, hey, I just learned about this thing. I did a whole backstory on it. I'm curious if other people know about this thing. So that's what our first question okay. is. And Matt, for the first question, we're playing for a joke. So if you get it right, I have to tell a joke. And if you get it wrong, you hey. have to tell me a joke. Oh, boy. Oh, no. <laughs> and okay. it can be a it can be a joke book joke. Uh, it can be whatever you want. 
Okay, here's your question. Before the Ameri- You know, I'm just this whole time, I'm uh, the whole time I'm just trying to think of a joke now knowing that I'm going to fail. But yes. going. Well, we'll, we'll put it this way. <laughs> Don't worry about that now. We can cut I and give you time to look up a joke on the internet if you get it wrong. Uh, here we go. Well, let's cross that bridge when we get there. I talked to Eric and I said, um, I'm having Franco on the show. How do, How is he with American history? And he said, Matt is really good with world's greatest magic trivia and like two yep, movies and magic history <laughs> and magic history in general and two movies and so with that i i'm i'm pleased to tell you this has to do with neither before the american okay. civil war <laughs> so we're, we're talking about before the american civil war the army experimented with what form of transporting cargo a catapult b teleportation or c camels the army experimented with transporting cargo what was the this exact was, question yeah there was Car- this was a form of transporting cargo so this is not necessarily for transporting troops but getting things like food supplies and different things from place to place uh so okay, it's and they either, were experimenting with this before the civil war that's correct it's either catapult teleportation okay. or camels um I, I i'm okay i'm just gonna think this out out loud here catapulting what i don't know what, what could that mean? Is that like weaponry? The the cargo, whatever the cargo might be. Oh, like catapulting cargo? Yes. From one place to the next? Yes. And teleportation, that to me sounds like on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the, the one that makes no sense because they can't, teleportation's not not a real thing. So it's got to be A or C. That's my thinking. Okay. And you're expecting me to settle in on one. You you have to settle in on one. Yeah, camel sounds like the uh, like the most reasonable choice. But I don't know. Maybe it's sort of a trick question. And it's catapulting, so I'm not sure. I'm gonna make you. But you want me to? I'm gonna make on you one, lock you? into one. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just gonna. Maybe it's not so much of a trick question. Maybe uh, did, did they experiment? I feel like you don't need to experiment with camels because you know that you can transport like a certain amount of weight on a camel. So let's go catapult. The answer is camels. You should have trusted your gut, Matt. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so the experimentation that had to take place was, is this a, an animal that our U.S. Army can use? Can the soldiers get used to using them? Um, there was a little bit of gotcha. adjustment that took place um, at first. Uh-huh. The, you Because know, if camels aren't happy, they'll spit and they'll bite and they'll do all these things. So in right. the 1840s and 1850s, they brought over a few dozen camels from the Middle East and there was the mm-hmm. U.S. Camel Corps in Texas uh, for the U.S. Army. Mm-hmm. There was a corps of camel that they were experimenting with, uh, you know, as the as America was was heading west and, and expanding. They didn't have they couldn't go these expansive deserts and mountains and stuff with mules and people. They just they needed something else stronger that could go longer without food. So um, do you have a joke for me? Oh, for one. Um, <laughs> do I have a joke? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to tell you a joke to tell me if it's one that you'll tell. This might not be on brand. Okay. Um, here's my joke. What's the most difficult part of smelling mothballs? Getting their it? little legs apart. Moths. Balls. Legs. What? 
you don't, you don't so get I'm the Googling joke. a joke now. Yeah. That's what you want me to do. <laughs> yes. What's the best thing about Switzerland? What? I don't know, but the flag is a big plus. Mm, ha ha. It's literal. That's fantastic. You need to put that one in your magic reinvented nightly. Yes. It's, there'll be a, an asterisk on the, the title of the show and it'll be like, but jokes from the internet. Uh, okay. Exactly. Question two for this question. We're playing for a plug on your podcast. So if you get it wrong, you have to plug this show on your show, Mind Over Magic. And if you get it right, I'll plug your podcast uh, next week in this show. That's fair. Uh, and this is another question nobody would know without Googling and no Googling is allowed. How many sets of eyelids does a camel have? Is it A, two, B, three, or C, camels don't have eyelids? I think camels can close their eyes. But I could be wrong about that, but I'm going to assume they do. So the option is two, three, or zero? Yes. Well, I just don't understand how they could have three. That doesn't make sense that they would have a third one because, like, it doesn't make sense. It has to be two or zero. So I'm back between A and C once again. Yes. Last once time I went with A. <laughs> once again, you're you're between, like, a more obvious answer and an impossible trick question answer. Yeah. I'm going to go with the obvious one this time. So I'm going to say they have two. Unfortunately, Matt, the answer is B, three. They do have three sets of eyelids. I don't know. It doesn't make any how. sense. It doesn't make any sense. I okay. don't know how that works. Okay. I know that a lot of animals have like one eyelid and then one membrane that comes over in a different direction. But camels do. They have three sets of eyelids and they have two rows of eyelashes to keep sand out of their eyes. So it's an animal that's adapted to, you know, be really good at keeping sand out of its eyes, which you would think is important as they are commonly used in the desert. So, I have just learned something new. Your yes, plug is well deserved. You, thank you. Uh, you've actually learned two new things now. Um, that uh, <laughs> catapulting was not a form of transportation prior to the Civil War, and three sets of eyelids on camels—super weird. Next time I go to the zoo and see a camel, I'm going to ask if I can see them somehow. I don't know how that's going to work, but all right, Matt, we're moving right along, and you're over two for this question. Yes, over two. We are playing for a coveted "The Internet Says It's True" sticker. You can see the sticker here. It's a three by three sticky orange sticker. And if you get this correct, you'll get a sticker. If you don't get it right, no sticker for you. Here we go. One of the men who really got the American Camel Corps program off the ground ended up being a central figure for the Confederacy during the Civil War. Which one of these men was it? Was it A, Jefferson Davis, B, Ulysses S. Grant, or C, Bradford P. Beauregard. I have absolutely no idea. Um, I, I, this is this is a complete. It's like throwing a dart and just seeing where it lands. Um, so I'm going to eliminate the last name because I didn't care for it, and then I'm going to flip a coin. <laughs> you just between didn't Grant. like the name. <laughs> yeah, just, a, a A was Grant. Uh, I'm sorry. A would have been A was Jefferson heads, Davis. B, and B is yeah. U.S. As, as Grant, and and Matt is now I, holding a coin which he has flipped. And yeah. what 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 did we land on? It, it landed on Grant, which to me is like, I don't know if that's correct or not. Um, my gut says to go with A, but my gut's been wrong all day. B. <laughs> B. The answer is A. You should have gone with the gut, Matt. Your gut is leading you in the right way. You're fighting it. You're fighting your gut. Never do that. Over Jefferson, three. Jefferson Davis was the president of the Confederacy 
during the Civil War, but he was a U.S. senator who helped get the American Camel Corps off the ground. You're over three. This is I feel like I need to get you a question about uh, World's Greatest Magic. I, I did email you recently <laughs> because I know that World's Greatest Magic, for those of you who, who are listening who aren't magicians, when we were growing up, it was the premier television program for magic. I mean, this was yeah. sort of it filled the gap between the David Copperfield specials and the David Blaine specials in terms of of magic on television. And it featured yeah. a bunch of magicians who were working pros, but not everyday names. And so we got to see this amazing stuff. Matt knows every word of these by heart. And yeah. so I emailed you recently to ask you the name of one of the tracks, the background tracks. The, Yo, and the it was hilarious made because you sent a voice memo yeah. <laughs> of you singing the song, which doesn't have words, by the way. Just like, but you hummed it. Yeah, it was it was quite good. I knew which song you were talking about right away. Yeah, it was it it, <laughs> it was used by by so many different acts. Um, and it it's like a right suit, but yeah. only two different acts. I should have known better than on to, the show. But then since it was on TV, lots of other magicians, I'm sure, adopted it. So you've probably seen it used many times elsewhere, too. Yeah. So I'm going to um, right now play that for you. This is not the real song. Oh, you're going to. This is not the real song. Okay. This is me singing that song. Yes. So here's my rendition of what I wanted to, that, that what I thought that song sounded like. There you go. Uh, and so that's me singing the song that you quickly identified as a song called Eclipse. Of course. By who is it by? Classic. Uh, it was for Cirque du Soleil. So now I'm going to play you a little bit of the real song. Here it is. This is the this is what I was trying to sing. <laughs> that was I was pretty close. That wasn't bad. Um yeah, no, actually you were you were right on because that melody is slightly different than the one you did, but the one that was on TV, you matched perfectly. <laughs> This was the original version before they like ripped it off for TV or whatever they did. So you I, did the you did it actually right on. You are you're so familiar with these television shows that not only do you know the song that they used for the show, you know the song that they based it on, the real song and how they are different. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. I even like have all the music. Some guy tracked it all down somehow. He's like crazier than me in like wow. the UK or something. And he made a whole website about it. Pretty that's, crazy. That's incredible. Is there anywhere online you can see the world's greatest magic shows? There used to be. Sometimes they get pulled on and off and stuff like that because, you know, copyright or whatever. But um, yeah, you can still find clips, I'm sure. Incredible. Incredible. Well, you're 0 for 3. We've got two more questions. Uh, this is question number four. And for this question, we're playing for an embarrassing onstage story. So if you get it wrong, you've got to tell me an embarrassing story of something that's maybe happened to you while performing, whether from the road or from your nightly show. If you get it right, I'll tell you. Well, that'll be mine. easy. You have you have some stories. That'll be easy for both up. of us. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, we, you know, when I listen to your <laughs> podcast and you guys tell stories, I, I often say, like, I feel like I'm sitting in the room with you, which I think is a, a testament. Right. To, because right. it sounds like, you know, when we get together and tell stories about the road, some of the stuff that has happened. Mm -hmm. And recently, oh, it was a conversation you guys had about 
uh, have you ever not not gotten to a gig and how do you deal with that? I think it was a mailbag question. Right. And how do you deal with yep. that? And oh, man, I have you know, I was like, I got three stories about that. Let's chat, you know. <laughs> So, so we can talk about an onstage story from either one of us based on whether or not you get this right. Which one of these okay. animals is the closest relative to the camel? Is it A, the llama, B, the horse, or C, the goat? Not a horse. It's got to be a llama or a goat. What does a llama look like? Is that a humpback thing? I don't expect you to answer me. It's kind of rhetorical <laughs> here. I'm I just want to point out that once again, you've quickly eliminated B. And it's a split between A or C. Yeah, once again. Um, and I and I'm I've done that previously and it was B, but I'm I'm feeling good that it's not a horse. Okay. Because a camel and a horse, no. But a llama, a llama looks like a camel, and a goat is like a whole different shape. It's smaller. I'm going llama. Matt, you're one for four. You have gotten this one right. Woo! Llamas and camels. Tell that are... embarrassing stuff. <laughs> That's right. Llamas and Camels are actually cousins. They both belong to the camelid okay. family. There are seven members of the camelid family. So dromedary camels, those are the ones with one hump. Bactrian camels have two humps. Wild Bactrian camels, llamas, alpacas, vicuñas, and guanacos. So there you go. Um, I bring this up at every show. Not during the show, but before the show. I have a rule when I have a little laminated card and I hand it to the person who's going to introduce me. And it's got like two or three sentences on who, who I am. I would love to not have to have any sort of introduction, but I feel like it helps like let the audience know the show's about to start. And of course. when I hand it to the person, a lot of the times it's a younger person who doesn't have much experience introducing someone. And so I say, I have one yeah. rule. My one rule is that you find me and you and I have a face-to-face -face conversation immediately before you walk out there and introduce me. And the that reason, is a good rule. Yeah, the reason I have this is because of this story. Um, and I think this happened when I was traveling and performing with the show-off show. There was the show-off show, which was um, Jonathan Burns and Evan Young performed for, for several years as the show-off show. It was like a two-man uh, comedy magic juggling stunt show. And I would do my 45 minutes or whatever. And I was backstage... There was on the back wall of the stage, there was a restroom next to the dressing room. And I was in that restroom with like a last minute emergency restroom break. OK. And I told them, you know, the show was advertised it's for 7 p.m. I told them we're probably going to start just about on time. So mm -hmm. to their credit, they took that very literally. <laughs> there was a monitor in the bathroom, a monitor speaker, so I could hear the pre-show music. And I'm in the bathroom thinking, OK, we'll just we'll start a few minutes late. I did tell, you know, the person like we'll start at, on time, but we'll start a few minutes late. And I'm mid uh, job in the bathroom, emergency job, emergency, you know, dump and midstream mid. Yeah, midstream, midstream. Uh, and I hear the beginning of my intro, even if there had been maybe mm -hmm. a, hey, how's everyone doing tonight? We've got some upcoming events we want to tell you about. No, none of that. It was straight into the entertainer <laughs> you're about to meet. Uh, right. I know that there is about seven and a half seconds at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm still in the bathroom. There's no chance of me just like cutting it off and going like it's it's going to be a minute. You can't. No, it's yeah. not healthily. Uh, so if, if for, for safety's yeah. sake, I was relegated to just sitting there, not only hearing my introduction, hearing my name and then hearing the audience cheer. 
Right, right. All through the monitor and absolutely nothing. <laughs> Just sitting there. And so wow. that's when I, I mean, and they had to wait like, you know, two or three minutes before I came on right. stage and I didn't tell right. the audience anything, you know, um, I, I just let them wait. It was super embarrassing for me. I'm not going to start the show by telling them, sorry, I was in the bathroom. That would be embarrassing, too. Uh, so, yeah, yes. that's my that's my story. And I, I know you got the question right and you don't owe us an embarrassing story, but we have you here and the listeners right. want to know. This is a question uh, that as magicians we get quite often. So I'm not I'm going to. Yeah. Rather than an embarrassing story, I'll just ask you the question that we get at. We get asked, have you ever messed up a trick? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I had a very, it's funny. You were talking about like wanting to jump in the conversation when you hear these stories, I had a very similar bathroom story, Oh yeah. Uh, but that, that won't be the one here because it is so similar. Um, <laughs> not exactly the same, but similar enough. Uh, but yeah, the, the one that's most memorable, like in recent times is I do, um, in magic, what's called an impossible location routine where you borrow an item yes. and it appears somewhere impossible. Right. Sure. And in this case, it's a bill. And, and I've been doing this for, for many years now, uh, making it appear in a ramen package, the, the flavor packet of a ramen package. Now right. I've done, I mean, gosh, I mean, I've done probably several different methods of it. And now it's finally, you know, might be done. Anywho, um, every time the method changes, there are things that could go wrong. And I had just implemented this new method that made it really seamless and amazing. And I was really proud of it. And the guy is on stage and he opens the package and, and I never touch anything. And he's holding the flavor packet in his hand. And as he's tearing it open, I'm kind of really staring at it and thinking, there's no bill in there. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Because we have a pile of like a thousand packages. Yeah. And he selects one from the big pile. And, uh, and it wasn't in there. So oh. that meant to me it's got to be somewhere else that, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. and, and I won't be able to find it oh, and uh, no. finish this bit. So that was, um, that was, that was, that was what happened. Now, how do you get out of that? What do you remember how, how that ended? Yes, I very, I do. Um, it took about 90 minutes to solve. Well, not quite, maybe 75 minutes to solve. Cause that's about 15 minutes into the show. So, um, I continue on with the, show. I played off as a joke. Oh, that would have been really great though. Thanks. Go back to your seat. Everybody laughs. We move on sure. now. Everyone backstage is trying to find this hundred dollar bill. <laughs> Eric open ramens doing whatever they do. Uh, so now I have to figure out how to incorporate this back into the show in a way that makes sense. and. Um, during an interlude, I was able to, they, they, they found the bill and they were able to get it to me. So I tried to load it into a different volunteer's pocket oh. during a part where I like make a card appear in someone's breast pocket. It was sure. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and the guy's suit was new. So it was, oh, he hadn't shut. opened the pocket yet. Oh. So that, that was a fail. Jeez. Then I thought, okay, later on in the show, there's another, even more impossible location routine. Um, with a cell phone the and cell maybe phone, I can right. have the bill appear with the phone. That'll sure. be amazing. Yeah. And, um, that failed too. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> that failed too. So the, the final solution was to make it appear in the original volunteers pocket at the very end of the show. And, and uh, that did work, good. but, um, it was a whole circus getting there. And, and that uh, is why the show yeah. is called magic reinvented nightly. Sometimes not by Matt's choice, but, uh, by necessity, it has it to be reinvented. Something. 
Yeah, that's amazing. It was man. something. Thank you for sharing that story. It, that's that's amazing. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Matt, you're one for four. We have one final question. This one is not a multiple choice. This one is is uh, just for you to answer, and it's for all the marbles. So if you get it wrong, I am banning you from this podcast. You will never be asked on this podcast again. Here's your question. Is that the rule? That's the rule. That's the rule. So what happens if I get it? If you get it right, you're welcome back on the show anytime. And I and I may try to find that's you again. The, uh, that's the... That's the stakes. Okay, that's the thing. Is, okay, yeah, okay. Gotcha. And now, is this like a right or wrong, or is it an essay question where I can BS my way through? I, I, well, I don't know. You'll have to be the judge of that. You'll, be, you'll have to be the judge of that. The question is this. What magic YouTube video does everyone need to see? That's a really hard one to answer because there's no one single true answer. Um, that's and I think you're better suited to answer this than most people I know, because you are yeah. very knowledgeable about magic, not only about magic, but about like what's out there. But I'm I'm also biased in terms of taste. So so <laughs> I want to I want to know keep, what your taste tells us is good. I, I, I keep coming back to because to me, it's sort of timeless. I keep coming back to um, well, there are a few manipulation acts, but I think. I think I would say, all right. I would think I would say Jeff McBride's appearance on World's Greatest Magic Two, where he does the masks and the cards. Yes, because even though, gosh, that goes back. That was in '95, so it's a lot of years ago. Um, yet still, it's like different than what people would expect to see from a magician. It's so out there and so like unique, especially not only for its time, but like even still. You think magician, and you just—that's you, not what you're expecting to see. That mask thing—it's just so dynamic. The way it opens up, and the music, uh, to me, is timeless too. And the music was composed for the act, so to me, that's kind of a real piece of art. But then the whole second half of the act, he goes into the card manipulation stuff, which is like really difficult sleight of hand, awesome stuff that looks amazing. Um, and the card throwing at the end, and the bouncing—I mean, the act was kind of perfect, and they did a great job of capturing it in that particular. Um, show with the the jib shots and everything and the um, yeah I would say Jeff McBride's appearance on World's Greatest Magic 2 that is a correct answer you're welcome back on the show you didn't get it wrong Uh, that was the first time I I ever saw cards being scaled like that cards being thrown into the audience and and especially cards bouncing off the stage you don't think of a a playing card as something that can bounce and when you watch this, it looks yeah. impossible. And it's not magic, that part of it, but it is nope. incredible. It's beautiful to watch. And it has, yeah. I mean, that one appearance put him on the map for a lot of magicians. Uh, many people weren't familiar with oh his my work God. until then. Um, yeah, and, and we take it for granted now because we, we're so familiar with it. But you're right, the bouncing of the cards and the scaling of the cards and like, Nobody talks about the way he was doing it choreographed to the music, sure, right? Because he had studied dance and so on. And, and I mean, yeah. everything was to the music. Yeah. And it was just so, it was so, it was another level. And, and it was kind of goes back to what we were talking about. A lot of the other acts, almost, almost all, every single other act on the show had to take their commercial music that they couldn't use, use it. And then in the studio, in the studio they had to create a track similar to it. Sure. Um, that they could use for the TV rights, right? right? But because that music was composed for Jeff McBride for that act, 
he was allowed to use it because he owned the rights to it. So it kind of put it in its own class. It was it was very cool. It absolutely did. Well, I really appreciate you uh, being on the podcast. I'm happy to have you on anytime. You can get tickets to Matt Franco's show, Magic Reinvented Nightly, at the link in Las Vegas. You can go to Caesars.com. Where do you normally tell people to go to buy tickets? Is is Caesars just the best place Matt, to Matt do Franco, it? Matt Franco. Matt Franco.com. You can go to Ticketmaster.com. Uh, wherever you go to buy tickets, uh, you, you know, hopefully you'll find it there. And you, you know can, how to use Google, that's, which, you know, if the inter- the internet says you, it's true, it is. You it can is. find it online. The internet says you can find tickets online. <laughs> you can also follow Matt online. Just remember that it's Matt with one T. Thank you so much for joining me, Matt. And it's great to see you. Always good to see you, buddy. Well, that's all for this week. Next week will be a completely different topic, so send those in on our website. Thanks to Rory Raven for the show topic and to Matt Franco for being my guest. Here's a kid who rode a camel once at the zoo. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. Don't forget to join up on Patreon if you want to see the unedited video of the guest appearance or to hear bonus episodes. You can do that at patreon.com slash Kent. Also, if you learned something that you didn't already know from the show, please visit iTunes and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That's the rule. You gotta do it. That helps us a ton because that's how the algorithm works to get the podcast suggested to more people. And that way we can keep learning something new if the internet says it's true. The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Sean Brown, Catherine Morgan, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, and the show's official Emperor Kick Track. The show was written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and additional music this week was from Zachariah Hickman, Ease Jammy Jams, and Chris Hogan. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 U.S.C. Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Kent. 